didn't hear me swig my water, right? Nothing worse than like swigging water. Uh, hey, to everybody in the room, happy Mother's Day, right? Uh, on behalf of all of us in leadership here at Calvary, man, just want to affirm you and, and acknowledge you on this day. It was awesome to have the students up here on Mother's Day. Uh, great way to honor their moms. Um, and moms, you have an incredibly challenging job, and I know that for every mother, you're in a different story, you're in a different situation, right? Some of your situations are challenging. Some of you are a single mom for whatever reason, you're doing it on your own. And in many ways, you are the engine of your family. Uh, and I say that as a guy who, you know, works and thinks I kind of know what I'm doing, but I know that if I didn't have my wife, um, man, our family would not nearly function as well or as meaningfully or as richly. And so, on behalf of all of us, for you ladies who just faithfully serve your families, um, it is great to acknowledge you and to affirm you and to thank you. Um, and for the single moms or the grandmas who are raising your children's children for whatever reason, and for those ladies who are <clears throat> parenting on your own, you're carrying a double burden, having to be every role in your family. And so, um, man, we want to acknowledge that and, and thank you and pray that God gives you strength and endurance. And as on days like this, when we celebrate <clears throat> and acknowledge moms and when your kids got up early to maybe make you some scrambled eggs and a pancake with some chocolate chips in it or whatever, right? And we celebrate moms and a bunch of you are going to go out for brunch afterwards and there's a, uh, this excitement in the air. We also know that for some ladies in the room and on this day, it's a challenging day. And it's a challenging day because your relationship with your kids is not what you wish it was because your relationship with your mother <clears throat> is not what you wish it was because you've lost a mom in the past year or in the past five years and you still carry that emptiness with you, but days like today, uh, it seems to be something you think about in a particular way. Or perhaps you've always wanted to be a mom. And for whatever reason, that isn't what God has had be part of your story. We say this every year because it's true every year. It's a day when we celebrate. And for some people, you're so excited because you're getting your favorite cheesecake. And you might finally get that present you've always wanted. Yes! And on other days, it's a day when there's a lot of sadness mixed with that. And so no matter where you find yourselves, um, we hope that you can find some encouragement from God and some strength from God, uh, and that he will meet you wherever you are today. So uh, we want to acknowledge you. Happy Mother's Day on behalf of all of us. We are a church that uh, preaches book by book through the Bible. That is our bread and butter 90% of the time. So today is not going to be a particular Mother's Day sermon. We're not going to study like Mary, the ideal mother of Jesus, and five ways to be the best mom. It's cool that places do that, but that's just not what we're going to do today. But we are going to work through a passage with some applications. And for all you moms, as you're processing where you are in your story and the challenges and the opportunities and the questions and the uncertainties and the what mights, what coulds, what shoulds, uh, all of these applications, I think, are something that can be useful to you and helpful to you as you try to parent and lead well. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into what God has for us this morning. And so if you'll join me in a word of prayer, that would be awesome. <clears throat> Lord, we come today, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to be served by our students. Thank you for the uh, generation here at Calvary 
of students and young adults that is passionate about you and willing to use their gifts to serve you, and thank you uh, for the gift of that and what you're doing in our student ministry. Father, today on Mother's Day, um, I'm grateful for my own mother, I'm grateful for my wife, who's a great mother, and Father, thank you for um, the different moms in the room who you're using, and they're just so faithfully serving you and serving their families. And I pray that you will give them encouragement. I pray that when they don't get the thanks that they often deserve, that they will know that they are doing a good work for you um, and that they will feel that. As we move into what Jesus taught uh, many years ago, Father, may it have uh, application for us today. We want to know what Jesus wants us to do. We want to have the courage to do that. We want the word to impact where we are today, Father, and know what it speaks and how it speaks. And so there's nothing I can do, Father, and I'm grateful for this opportunity, but I really trust the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Spirit knows where everybody is and what we're facing, and you're sovereign, and it's no coincidence that We are the group listening to this text today, and so please work through the Spirit, through the text, for the glory of Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, some of you know this, but one of my favorite places in the universe is Lake... I've not been that many places in the universe, but of all the places in the universe I've been, one of my favorite places uh, is Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. We have the opportunity to get up there uh, every summer. My wife's family has a, a little cottage up there that we get to hang out with most summers. Um, and it's an amazing lake, and the lake is enhanced by uh, the use of a boat. And I used to have a boat down when I was in Jacksonville, Florida, that I zipped around on. I'm a somewhat competent mariner. I've only almost sunk that boat in Jacksonville once, but that's a different sermon illustration for a different day. And so one of the great things we have is there's a, a friend of ours who's very gracious, and for years now, he's let us tow a 21-foot Boston whaler <clears throat> up to the lake in New Hampshire and use it for the week or a couple weeks that we're up there. And this past summer, um, something happened, right? It was a beautiful, sunny day at Lake Winnipesaukee. Just like today is a beautiful December day here in, <clears throat> here in Connecticut. Good, you caught that. I was wondering how long was that going to work? Beautiful summer day. There was actually warmth at Lake Winnipesaukee. And we, had, we got my in-laws in the boat, and there's this awesome little place to go get. Uh, you can eat on the, on the lake. You can get some some seafood, all that stuff. So we were starting our journey. We were in, we were going, suntan oil on, sunglasses on, cruising along in this 21-foot whaler. Woo! And all of a sudden, it kind of went, and it stopped. Now, you may not be the competent mariner that I am, but this is what a competent mariner would know. Boats are not supposed to just stop. Right? They're, they're supposed to continue on the path of where they're going. And so I'm like, this is weird. What do I do? And so I called. Uh, we were just kind of stuck there, right? We were kind of floating. Lake Winnipesaukee has all these rocks that stick out of the water. We were drifting. We didn't really know how to go forward. I tried a few things. So finally, I called or texted my buddy and whose boat it is. I'm like, dude, I didn't do it. You always want to start with that, right? I didn't do anything. But all of a sudden, the boat stopped. What do I do? So he gave me an idea. Yeah, I did that. Give me another, yeah, I did that. Give me another. Dude, I'm not an idiot. I've already done that. Whatever. So here's what he said. 
Well, it sounds like this fuel delivery problem. So there's this little, you know, little like ball pump thing you can pump on this fuel line. So why don't you like do it? So he told, so we tried that, right? We did what he told us to do. We started pumping the thing and we started it and blah, blah, blah. And man, the boat worked again and we're able to get it where we wanted to go. But in that moment, man, we were just drifting. And without his advice, without his telling me what to do, I had no idea how I would have moved forward or how I would have gotten from where I was to where we wanted to go. And this morning, none of us are on a boat in Lake Winnipesaukee, but maybe in your own life, you kind of feel stuck. Maybe as a mom, there's stuff going on in your family, in your situation, in your role, and you're just kind of in this place where you're floating and you don't really know where to get, how to get from where you are to where you want to be. Maybe you're stuck, but you're not stuck as a mother. Maybe you're just in a holding pattern. And you don't really know what's next. You don't know about the next steps that God has for you. Maybe you're stuck because you know exactly what it is that God wants you to do. You know exactly the way forward, what you should be doing, but you look at that and you're intimidated because you realize what it's going to take to do that, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I don't know if I have the ability to do that. I can't do that on my own, and so instead of stepping out in faith, you're just kind of floating and stalled and drifting. Maybe you're stuck and you don't know how to move forward because you're processing expectations of things that haven't worked the way that you thought they would. Maybe you thought you'd be in a different place or something different would have happened to you and something's happened to you that you weren't expecting that didn't line up with the way you thought it would go and it's paralyzed you. It's just caused you to freeze up and there's anxiety that comes with that, there's discouragement that comes with that, there's depression that comes with that and you don't know how to move forward because your expectations have been destroyed and crushed and they're keeping you where you are. Maybe this morning you're stuck somewhere Because you've blown it. Because you did something really, really stupid. And it's all come crashing down on you. And you don't know how to sort yourself out of the rubble of the self-caused explosion that's happened because of your sin and your choices. And, And you don't know how to move forward. You don't know what to do. See, all of us in our life at different times and for different reasons, we're gonna be in one place. And in order to get to the place that God has for us, we're going to need somebody to come in and we're going to need some advice, some wisdom, some guidance, something to help us reorient our thinking to take us from where we are to where God wants us to be in order to move to the future that God has for us. That's true for you, that's true for me, and that's true for somebody in this story that we're tracking, a guy named Peter. Peter was one of these followers of Jesus, and we're thinking about what Jesus did in the days, about the 30-day period from his resurrection uh, until he resumed back up to heaven. And Peter was a guy who in that period was stuck. We have this kind of illustration of Peter. Peter ended his story really, really well. Some of you may know some stuff about him. Some of you may know know stuff about him. But Peter, as you start getting into the book of Acts and later gospel epistles and stuff, man, Peter was this key leader in the church. He was like the pastor of all pastors. He was the tip of the spear. He was a dude who wrote two books of the Bible. If you are from the Catholic tradition, right, the Catholic tradition, we disagree with it, but they esteem Peter and they have a legacy for him. They think he was the first pope. 
Not only did Peter write two books of the Bible, but he was likely the source, the eyewitness, on which another book of the Bible was written. He was a great pastor. He was a great shepherd. That is the legacy that this guy Peter left. But where we find ourselves at Jesus' crucifixion and death and afterwards is, is this is kind of Peter's story. He was stuck in this place of failure. He was stuck in this place of, man, self-imploded, blew it big time. He denied Jesus three times. Jesus was, if you're not familiar with the story, was, had a bunch of different trials the night after he was arrested, the night he was arrested. One of those trials took place at the high priest's house. Peter was outside of the high priest's house, and a few different people came up to him and were like, aren't you with Jesus? And Peter was scared because he didn't want to be arrested. He didn't want to go to jail. He didn't die. He's like, man, I don't know the dude. I don't know the guy. I don't know who you're talking about. Three times Peter denied Jesus. This guy who's like, man, I'll go to the mats for you. Denied him. He hides for his own protection. There is no record of Peter being at the crucifixion. There's one disciple and a bunch of ladies who have the courage to show up. And Peter and the other dudes, man, they're locked away in some bunker somewhere because they don't want it to be them. Peter had a great legacy. His story ended well. But Peter had this moment where he failed and where he blew it. And what moved him from this place to that place, what moved him from drifting on Lake Winnipesaukee, not knowing where to go, to having it work, was what Jesus did in John 21 and the very next thing Jesus did after one of the events of his resurrection. John 21, Jesus teaches Peter some things. Jesus teaches him four lessons to try to, that, that are helpful and critical for moving Peter to, from here to there. And so today we're going to look at that, right? We're in this series called After, and in the next chronological thing that Jesus does after, he's already appeared to these guys walking down this road. Last week we saw how Jesus appeared to this guy named Thomas and what he taught him when John preached. And then this week, the next thing in the series is John 21, where Jesus appears to Peter to help move Peter from his failure to Peter's future. And so John 21 is going to be our text, and we're going to see four choices that help us properly move forward. Four choices that help us properly move forward. Four lessons Jesus teaches gives us four choices for you and I to think of. And, and I've packaged it as choices because here's why. You and I live our lives one choice at a time. You and I live our lives one choice choice at a time. And at the end of the day, our lives end up being the culmination of all of those choices. Choices matter. And if some of you are stuck today, when some of you get stuck, when some of you have blown it big time and you don't know what to do, you're going to have a choice in that moment about what to do. And so we're going to look at what Jesus taught, and we're going to see four different choices we can make from that. So let's jump into it. If you have a Bible, and, and <clears throat> I hope you guys bring your Bibles uh, or a device. I know I'm old. I'll confess. No, I'm not old. I could whoop any of y'all. <laughs> I'm old school, man. I'll admit it. I confess. I like reading a, this as my Bible as opposed to this as my Bible, but that's because I'm 50. This is has God's truth on it too, right? But whether you like a device or whether you like your Bible, man, I hope you guys are bringing your Bibles because... Uh, we put the verses on the screen, but the only reason I put the verses on, this is side note, I'm adding three minutes, forgive me. I know, moms, you have to get home. I'm working on it. I'm trying to go fast. 
It's not going to be fast, so have some, have some coffee. The only reason I put the verses on the screen is for the first person who's walked into a church for the first time and has no idea about what the Bible is. I don't put that on the screen for people who have been Christians for years of their lives. You need to be in it. And part of when you hear a sermon is you look at it, you try to, you've got to figure out where that book of the Bible is, you're tracking along with it, and I, I think it really is more meaningful. I have thought in different random moments of just not putting verses up on the screen. Like, tough love. Sometimes you've got to kick the baby out of the nest, right? But I'm a gentle, loving pastor, so we haven't done that yet. <clears throat> so if you are a real, John 21, that's where we're going to be, and let's see the first thing that, that Jesus teaches. John 21, verse is 1 through 3. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Okay? And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Two interesting things to pull from this. His first idea of Peter saying, I'm going fishing. Peter and all of these dudes have now seen Jesus, right? They've seen him at least two times, perhaps three times, and he's told them to go to Galilee. And so that's kind of where they've headed. They've left the area of the city. They've gone out into the kind of the country of Galilee. But Peter, man, he's still a guy trapped in his failure. And he doesn't know anything about what's to come. He's seen Jesus, but he doesn't have any idea what's ahead. He doesn't know if he's going to see Jesus in Galilee like again in five years. And so the dude's a commercial fisherman. And he's like, man, I, I don't even know what to process in this moment. I've failed. I've seen the dude that I let down. But, man, my family's got to eat. And so Peter is kind of like, hey, I'm just going back as a fallen, broken person to make a living. Right? Not necessarily rebelling, but got to put food on the table. And a second interesting thing is this word, that night, they caught nothing. That night, they caught nothing. In this day, commercial fishermen typically fished at night. If you're a fan of the deadliest catch, which is just spectacular, uh, man, there's a lot of that fishing at night. In this day, those guys fished at night. And so that's part of what they're doing. They do the normal practice. But there's something else going on, 90% sure, with this word, night. Throughout his biography, every time John uses the word night, the writer of this gospel, every time he uses the word night, it's kind of this symbol or this metaphor to discuss this, this moral or this spiritual darkness that's just kind of present in this moment. The darkness, the brokenness, right, the failure, the problems, every time in the book of John, when John uses the word night, it's to describe a scene where there's just confusion and darkness and things aren't the way it's supposed to be. And John was a dude who throughout this after events has been hanging out with Peter a lot. And what John seems to be doing is letting us know that, hey, yeah, they went at night because they were supposed to, but this word night, that also describes where my friend Peter was. Because John knew what Peter would have been going through. And what John is trying to suggest is, man, Peter was in a bad spot. Peter was broken. He was dark, fallen. And so what helps Peter move forward, right? What's the first thing that Jesus wants to teach and convey to them? Verse 4. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. 
And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. This correlates to a prior incident, but in this day, man, those guys are professional fishermen. Peter, professional fisherman. This was what he did, and all night he's been trying to fish his way. He's been trying to do it the way he knew how to do it. He's been trying to do it through his skill. He's been doing, trying to do it through his power, and nothing. Nada. Nunca. Nadie, right? Not a single fish. And then this person who they don't quite know who it is tells them what to do. And Peter and the rest of the guys in that moment, they have a choice. And the choice is, are we going to do it the way that this guy's telling us to do it? We're the experts. We know what we think we should be doing. We know how we think it should be done, but that's not working out for us. Now someone's telling us to do it some way, and the choice for them was, are we going to be willing to listen to what that person who they quickly realize is Jesus tells us to do and trust him that he knows what he's talking about? What Jesus is doing here is reminding Peter of this hugely important lesson. That in order for Peter to move from where he was to where God wanted him to be, in order to move from all that he had done wrong to all the ways that God was going to use him, Jesus is reminding Peter here that he needs to trust him in two areas. Peter needs to trust Jesus' leadership, and Peter needs to trust Jesus' power to provide. Jesus, Peter needs to be willing to trust Jesus' leadership, and Peter needs to be willing to trust that when he follows Jesus' leadership, Jesus is able to provide. Peter was this brash, cocky, arrogant, shoot first, aim later. He thinks he knows what he does. He's impulsive, right? He flies off the handle. He just And what Jesus is saying is, Peter, hey, the way you've responded to things so far... It hasn't really worked out the best. And he's preparing him for his future. He wants Peter to do it according to his leadership by trusting his power. I got that whaler started, and it worked, right? We kind of got it back. A day or so later, it happened again. <clears throat> so we did the same deal. We're pumped. And we do, the, the, we do it the way the guy told us to do it right? Because it worked. And so we got the thing cruising, and my wife's like, you know, our backup engine, making sure the fuel's getting into it with this pump. And, and about five minutes after this, I'm feeling good. I'm like, man, we're going. And so you know what I say? Babe, you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, babe, you just stop. You don't have to. And she's like, well, no, the person told us we should do it. I th no, I'm like, no, man, I got it. We're good. Look, we're cruising. So she's like, okay. So she stops because I told her to because I thought, man, I, and guess what happened? <laughs> See, in the moment I chose like, oh, I kind of know better now. I got to go and I'm going to do it my way again. And it got me stuck once again. This morning, maybe the reason some of you are stuck is because you've done it your way. Because you haven't trusted Jesus' leadership. You haven't followed Jesus' leadership. You were me at the helm of a Boston whaler thinking I knew better than the guy whose boat it was. And you trying to do it your way has gotten you stuck and gotten you into a mess. Maybe you're stuck because you know what needs to be done and there's this significant thing to do, but you just have no idea how to do it 
And so you're simply choosing to do nothing. You're just choosing not to act because you're afraid to act because you don't know how it's going to get done because your own ability to do it isn't enough and you're not trusting Jesus' power to do it. And so here's the choice this morning. First choice, choose, this is what Jesus was teaching Peter through this fishing thing and the choice that we have. Choose to do it Jesus' way and choose to trust Jesus' power. Choose to do it Jesus' way and choose to trust Jesus' power. Moms, I don't know what might be going on in your life. I don't know what parenting challenge you're facing. I don't know what family challenge you're facing. I don't know what you're trying to figure out about your roles or your identity or what God has for you, but for you this morning from guys who went fishing many years ago, choose to do it Jesus' way and choose to trust Jesus' power. For all of us, are you facing an issue today in a friendship, in your marriage, about how to handle your money, about a decision that you have to make in a relationship, in a job, about a choice that you have to make about whether to be ethical and whether to be honest and whether to tell the truth, in assessing whether to forgive or whether to hold the grudge? Whatever you're facing this morning, the grid that you should run that choice through is the grid of do it Jesus' way and choose to trust Jesus's power. What's the second thing? That was an essential lesson for Peter to know because in the future he's going to be in all sorts of situations that were challenging that he can't do it on his own. Well, what's the second thing that Jesus wants Peter to understand? It's a longer passage, but we see the next thing <clears throat> that happens. They realize it's Jesus. Peter, being impulsive dude, hops out of the boat, starts like, you know, thinking he's Michael Phelps trying to swim out to Jesus. They finally get on land, and here's what we see in verses 9 through 17. When they get on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, fish, fifth, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so were the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, there's a little bit of discussion about what's the more than these. Is the more than these like your fishing boat and your nets and your career? Is the more than these, do you love me more than the disciples? Is, it, is your quality of love for me deeper than the disciples? Maybe it's all of it. But he has this conversation with Peter. Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so he, being Jesus, said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus is using this whole moment to mirror and to take Peter back to his moment of failure. There's two different 
things we see going on in this narrative that show us that. Two different things that they're clear that Jesus is using to take us back. The first is the word charcoal fire. There are only two times in the entire New Testament where there is a charcoal fire. One time is in this moment that we just read, and do you know maybe when the other time that we see the word charcoal fire is? Well, if you don't, here's when it was. The only other time in the whole New Testament we see the word charcoal fire, that was the type of fire that Peter was warming himself by on the night of Jesus' arrest when he was approached three times and said, hey, do you know Jesus? And Peter denied him. The night that Peter denied Jesus, Peter was by a charcoal fire. And the only other time that word is used in the entire New Testament is in this place. Same type of fire. Peter's near it once again. And on that night when he was by that charcoal fire, three times Peter said, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. Biggest moral failure of his life. And now, once again, Peter's by a charcoal fire being asked three questions about his relationship with Jesus. And you can tell Peter picks up on what's going on because when the third time comes around, the text tells us Peter was grieved. Almost like, Jesus, I I know. I got it. I messed up. Why are you reminding me of that? And I think that line where he says, Lord, you know I love you, has the the nuance of, Jesus, I blew it. I failed. But you know I love you. And, and, And Jesus is bringing Peter back to that moment. The last time Peter was by a charcoal fire, he denied Jesus and he fell. In this moment, by this charcoal fire, how does Jesus act towards Peter? When Peter says, I love you, I love you, I love you, right, what some of us would do would be like, no, nah, I don't think so, right? That's maybe I do. Not, well, if you loved me, you wouldn't have done that. We would have been a little passive-aggressive, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you love, I love it. Well, you sure didn't show it. Remember the last time by that fire? You didn't so, do so great then, did you, maverick? But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't give any blame. Jesus doesn't yell at him. Jesus, Jesus doesn't break him any further because he's already been broken enough. Instead, what Jesus says three times is, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus is reinstating Peter. Jesus is restoring Peter. Jesus reinstates Peter three times to counteract the three times and three ways in which Peter fell. Here's the big idea. It's not the choice yet, but here is what is oozing through this moment on that beach in that time. When we fall, Jesus picks us up. When we fall, Jesus picks us up. And that's the way that Jesus acts to fallen, broken sinners because Jesus is a king who has mercy. Mercy, right? Mercy is this idea of giving to us what we do not deserve. Grace is this idea of keeping from us what we deserve. Mercy is this idea of giving us what we don't deserve. 
Peter didn't deserve a second chance. Didn't earn it. Wasn't worthy of it. Who knows if he could be trusted. But Jesus had mercy. And God constantly gives to you and to me what we don't deserve. When we fall, Jesus picks us up. Now, I said this a few weeks ago. Um, Interestingly, a few weeks ago, I made the same point. And I used the illustration of, if I have a moral failure tonight, I won't be back on this stage last week. And then I got off, and two or three people came to me and said, you know you're not going to be on that stage next week because you're off. And I'm like, dadgummit, they're all going to think I had a moral failure, right? I'm on the stage, so all's good, okay? But, but here's the reality, right? That the, all that we said is true, restoration, forgiveness, mercy. But the reality is that some failures may prevent us from serving God in a particular way in the future. Other failures will require a suspension, a temporary suspension of us serving God in a particular way in a particular future. But regardless of the failure, we, one can always serve God in some capacity in some future way. The story's not over. And so here's the second choice for you and me. And maybe if you're this morning stuck because of your sin, Maybe if you're stuck because of your failure. Maybe if you're stuck because of your fall. God God never wants us to not deal with it. We got to deal with it. We got to confess it. We have to repent of it. We have to take the consequences that come with it. We have to be broken by it. This is not this idea of being cavalier. This is the idea of, yeah, when we blow it, we got to deal with it and we got to confess it. And we got to repent of it, and we got to take the consequences that come with it, and we have to be willing to be broken of it and by it. But Jesus never wants us to get stuck in it. So here's the second choice. Choose to believe that the mercy of Jesus can restore you. Choose to believe that the mercy of Jesus can restore you. Some of you are stuck because maybe you're still condemning yourself for something that Jesus has forgiven you of and the very sin that Jesus died for. But some of you are still beating you. Jesus isn't condemning you anymore. Jesus is willing to give forgiveness to you. Jesus died so that you can have forgiveness for that, but you're still beating yourself up. You're still listening to the lies of the enemy of how because of what happened last month, last year, last decade, your failure, you're broken, you're not worth anything, God can never use you, you're the biggest embarrassment of a Christian, and you're buying those lies. But those lies are coming from the enemy, they're not coming from Jesus who wants to give you mercy and who's given you forgiveness and who wants to pick you back up and help you to move on. God in his mercy has forgiven you, and so stop beating yourself up. Because you're not guilty anymore. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. There's consequences. There's dealing with it. There's repercussions. But don't get stuck there. There is no condemnation. Jesus is now restoring Peter, right? Jesus is saying, Peter, you got to trust my leadership and trust my power. And you need to be able to do that because, bro, I'm getting you back in the game, right? It's like Top Gun, 
I don't know if you've ever watched Top Gun, the best movie ever made. I don't care what you say. I don't want to hear about like a river runs through it was really good or like I found something else called Top Gun. And there's this great scene in Top Gun where Maverick's freaked out and the dude chewing his cigars like, get him back up there quick, right? So Maverick's got to get back. You got to get back in the game. Jesus wants to get Peter back in the game. That's what he's trying to tell Jesus. But in, Peter, in order to get back in the game, though, there's something else Peter needs to know. And he's got to understand something. He, here's the next thing we see that Jesus tells him, right? I mean, this is heavy. Like, if, if I was just told, like, bro, get back in the game, I don't know if I'd want to hear these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, verse 18, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Jesus is doing to Peter what many years ago in a very trivial way, very trivial, a, a nurse did with me. I was going to Nicaragua for a missions trip, and so I had to get like 42,000 different vaccines. And I was in Savannah, and in Savannah, um, <clears throat> there's a uh, uh, Hunter Army Airfield, where there's a bunch of Army Rangers and Black Hawk pilots. And so I went into this little place to get this vaccine. And usually, when you go to get a vaccine or a shot, the person kind of finds the vein. And then what do they say? This is what they usually say. Now, sweetie, just hold, you're just going to feel a little pinch, right? You're going to feel a little pinch. This lady did like this. She had the thing like this. She's like, let me just tell you something, baby. This is going to hurt a lot. I've seen army rangers start to cry. Boink! Ah! <laughs> and guess what? It did hurt a lot, but I didn't cry. <laughs> and you know what she was doing? She was preparing me like, this is not going to be easy. She was managing my expectations. She was setting me up because if she said to me, this is just going to be a little pinch, and then she, bah, I'd be like, man, I can't, you lied to me. I can't trust you. What Jesus is doing here for Peter is saying to Peter, Peter, I want to get you back in the game. But man, it, it's not going to be easy. And what he's predicting here with Peter is this idea that, man, and one day you're going to be martyred. You're going to be killed for your faith for me. This is not easy peasy, white picket fence, yellow lab, everything's happy clappy. This, there's going to be some hard times, bro. And those hard moments in your life are part of your story of following me. See, obeying and following Jesus might not give you your easiest life now. But it will give you your best life later. But it may not give you your easiest life now. I, I think about this a lot, and this is not in any way a criticism, but <clears throat> um, some of the songs we sing, some of the songs you may listen to, right, they talk about, I'm going to see a victory. And I always wonder, man, how is that landing? And I like literally go through like a 45-second theological, in my mind. Are we all who are Christians going to see victory because of what Jesus does in his life, in our lives? We ultimately will. Ultimately, one day, if you're a believer, you are going to see Jesus face to face. And on that day, there will be victory in everything. It will be great. But that doesn't necessarily mean tomorrow you're going to have victory in everything. It doesn't mean tomorrow is going to necessarily be great. It might be really hard. And I think sometimes what 
churches do and pastors do and Christian speakers do is we sell a product that Jesus isn't offering. And we say to people, if you follow Jesus, you're going to have your best life now. I don't think so. You're certainly not going to have your easiest, no guarantee of having your easiest life now. You will have your best life someday, one day, but that doesn't mean tomorrow you're going to get a raise. It doesn't mean next Tuesday the cancer is going to go away. It doesn't mean your family is going to get back together. And sometimes what we do is we think that, okay, well, man, there's going to be victory, so I'm going to follow Jesus. It's all going to be great. And then when it doesn't get great, you know what some of us do? We're like, well, God let me down. God failed me. And I don't know as much as if God's failed us as we've tried to hold God to a promise that he never, ever made. We try to sometimes hold God to a promise he never, ever made, and then when that doesn't get delivered on, we think that God failed us, but God's like, bro, I, I never promised you a lot of money. I never promised you a job that fulfills all of your dreams. I never promised that if you read How to Raise Kids God's Way, they'll be the perfect Christian little children who will rise up in the morning and call you blessed. (laughs) We buy books that say how to have your best life now, and then when our husband says, I've been having an affair, I'm leaving you, we're like, well, this doesn't seem like the best life. Sometimes we get bitter and our faith gets shaken because we're holding God to a promise he never made. Jesus promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. And one day, someday, all will be well, but that may not be next Thursday. And Jesus didn't want Peter to get discouraged, bitter, disengaged because of the trouble that he faced. And so Jesus shot him straight. He wanted Peter to have the proper expectations. And for you and for me, if we're stuck, maybe part of the reason why we're stuck and we don't know how to go forward is because we've been holding to the wrong expectations. And the expectations that we've held Jesus to that he never promised hasn't been delivered on. And so now we're just like, okay, I don't know how to go forward. I don't know what to do. Here's the third choice. Choose the proper expectations. Here's an expectation for you. Ready? Sorry. I'm like that nurse about to stab you. But it was Jesus who stabbed us first, John 16, where it says this. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Hey, it's not going to be easy. Jesus is shooting us straight. But take heart because I have overcome the world. One day, someday. We are going to experience what it means for the king of kings to be ruling in victory everything the way that he wants it to be. That is a promise. You will experience that if you're a Christian, but it may not be next Thursday. But on next Thursday, if you don't experience it, take heart because you know one day Jesus will give you your best life when you see him face to face and know That no matter what you're facing, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And his grace is sufficient for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And his grace is sufficient for you. But... Be sure we have the right 
expectations. Last truth, and we end with this. The very next thing that Jesus says to Peter after, bro, it's not going to be an easy road, (laughs) he says this. It's kind of funny. Jesus says that after saying this to him, he said, hey, by the way, follow me. If I'm like Peter, I'd be like, whoa, can I have a minute? (laughs) Martyrdom. Jesus says, Peter, trust my leadership. Trust my power. You didn't trust that, and you got yourself into this mess. But even in this mess that you're in, man, know that I am restoring you right? Know that I have a plan for you. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, take care of my flock. And Peter, have the right expectations because it's going to be challenging in moments. And Peter, follow me. Follow me. Come on. Story's not over. Peter, you got churches to plant. You got people to pastor. You got books of the Bible to write. You have a legacy to leave. Follow me. Earlier, years earlier, Peter had the same invitation. Messing around with some boats and some nets on the sea when this dude who was a rabbi claiming to be a king said, Hey, man, why don't you come follow me and see where this story takes you? Now it's bookending. And Peter had no idea what hung in the balance. Peter guy who had some humility now, some brokers now, sobered now, had no idea the legacy that he was going to leave that hinged upon the choice that he made in that moment. And here's the fourth choice. Choose to follow Jesus. This morning is Jesus asking you to do something. Is he asking you to start something? Is he asking you to stop something? Is he leading you in a particular direction? Is he leading you to stay where you are? Is he calling you to something? Or is he releasing you from something? No matter where you are on that spectrum, follow and choose to go where Jesus leads. I'm going to ask the student team to come back up and close our service. Here's kind of what we've seen so far. These four lessons that have led to four choices um, this morning, right? Here we, we can pop them back up. I think we got all four. Maybe I didn't do the slide the right way, which is very possible, right? The first one is this. Choose to do it. We saw Jesus' way and trust Jesus' power. Choose to believe that the mercy of Jesus can restore you. Choose the proper expectations and choose to go where Jesus leads. And, and here's the question, right? Here's kind of the application. Which one of these, one, two, three, four, is something that maybe you're struggling with this morning? Which one of these is really just a hard choice for you to make based on what's going on in your life? Is it a hard thing for you to choose to do it Jesus' way and to trust his power? Is it hard for you to believe, to choose that the mercy of Jesus can restore you? Is it hard for you to choose the proper expectations? Is it hard for you to choose to go where Jesus leads? Which of those may be a challenging choice for you to make this morning? And then here's the question. What is one action, one step that you can take towards moving towards one of these choices? One step one action, one thing you can do in faith and trust to show that you're taking one of the choices and the choices that is challenging for you. Let me pray. We'll worship. 
And now let me say this. Uh, man, again, moms, happy Mother's Day. If you're a lady over 18, as a small token just of Calvary's love and appreciation for you, uh, whether you're a mom or not, wherever you are in that story, we'd love for you to grab a flower uh, on your way out. Remind you that we have a class after this on culture and truth uh, that I'm excited about teaching. Um, and hope you'll come back next week and hope that some of these choices won't be wasted on you. And hope that maybe one of you, just one, this morning came in here stuck, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to take the next step towards. And maybe God's used one of these truths to help move you and challenge you into the path that he has for you. And like Peter, you have no idea what might hang in the balance of the choice that you choose to make. Let me pray. Father, you know what everybody's going through this morning, what each of our stories are. And no matter where we find ourselves, we know that your word doesn't return void. We know that this word, this, this true story in the Bible, Father, you will use like you use rain to water the earth to cause growth. You've promised that you will use your word to cause growth. And so, Father, as I think about what you're doing in my life and in my story, um, may these words <clears throat> give guidance and give direction to what you have for me. And as all of us, Father, many of us are trying to figure it out. Uh, for the power of the Holy Spirit, just grip our hearts so that we may be people who follow you well and follow you richly and are willing to trust your mercy and your grace and your leadership. Amen.